I, uh, I've got way too many notes up here and not enough time to preach at all. And uh, then I have notes in my mind and then I have notes in my heart. So I got like four different sets of notes and somehow, with the help of the Lord, we're going to just combine all four sets and, and get them here. There is something that's been on my mind and been on my, my heart and I, I keep going back to it and if I could I, I would like to just kind of be pastor for a little bit in a good way no not not want to step on anybody's toes that's not the purpose of it at all but uh, I feel like there are times that the Lord impresses upon me and uh, I, there, there are two responses that you and I need to have when when we begin to look at those who uh, if you will talk about their salvation or they be talk about them. the first response I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it the first response is the response found in uh, Acts chapter 19 and that is that one of the things that and, and, and let me tell you where I'm going one of the things that I, I get as I read through the book of Acts and I read through the epistles is how many times the apostles talked about how important right doctrine is. That you don't allow the word of God to get corrupted or you don't allow the word of God to, to, to slide off into a path that was never intended to go. And I feel like if the word of God if the Bible that we have, that we read, if it tells us to make sure we have right doctrine, we ought to do that. The problem is, we live in a world today that there is a lot of opinions as to what's contained in the Word of God. And I use that on purpose, the word opinion, because you'll understand that there are a lot of opinions, but there is only one right answer. That's why we teach it. It's one of the values of this church is that I desire this church to be a doctrinally right church. From every Sunday school teacher to every youth uh, uh, person that speaks our youth to our youth to anyone that stands behind this pulpit to our whoever ministers to our ladies and, and different ones. I want to make sure that in every aspect of the Lighthouse Church, we're preaching the truth. Not opinions, not man's thoughts, but the truth and one of the ways that uh, truth has become opinionated is go to your work tomorrow and ask people if they're saved. I don't necessarily recommend this because there's really two things that you need to kind of be very careful if you're going to talk about it. One of them is religion and the other one's politics. And so be careful how you go there. You don't want to offend anybody. But if you wanted to have some fun, go to your work tomorrow and just take a poll. Ask them, are you saved? I'm kind of confident no one really is going to look you in the eye and say, I'm lost, I'm going to hell. Now, maybe you, you get the, uh, sometimes you'll get an atheist or someone, and, and it's interesting how, how I've talked to some atheists who know they're going to hell, which doesn't make any sense, because if you don't believe there's a God in hell, why do you say, you know, but that's a whole other story. Um, but ask them, are you saved? And then ask them, how are you saved? And guaranteed, you will find a myriad of, of answers to that question. And so if someone was to talk about their conversion, I think that there is an element for you and I to celebrate whatever God does in the life of anybody you come in contact with. 
Sometimes just someone picking up their Bible and reading the Bible is a huge win in that person's spiritual life. But I like the way, so as we, as we look at that, I told you I'm going to tell you one way to respond, and then I'm going to tell you another way. But one way to respond is how uh, Paul did in Acts chapter 19. He found some disciples, so they had some belief. They were doing what they thought was right. And what did he say? He says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They responded, we're not quite sure if there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. We don't know what you're talking about. And then the next question, how were you baptized? And their response was, well, we're John the Baptist's disciples. We were baptized in the way of John the Baptist. And Paul begins to tell them there is a better way, a more sure way, a way that has, has, has been fully revealed and begins to tell them. And by the time Acts 19 gets over, actually by the time the first couple of verses and Acts chapter 19 gets over. They've received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they've been baptized in Jesus' name. And here's why I say this. Because I see in, in my life, in the ways that I go, I want to be very careful that I don't celebrate salvation when it's not happening. I'm going to just put it as bluntly as I can. The Bible says, read letters in Jesus, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That tells me that if someone has not walked through that book of Acts experience that we find in a lot of places, but especially in Acts chapter 2, I have a hard time putting the label of salvation on someone who has not followed Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Are you with me? Okay, I'm preaching to the saints of God here today, all right? So, so I'm, we're going to get deep, and, and I want you to understand that I'm doing this with all love and kindness that I can. But I've got to be very careful that I don't celebrate something that is not right. Because if I understand the Bible correctly, a person who claims salvation yet has not followed the words of God and followed the instructions given by Peter and others in the book of Acts is just as lost as any other person that's never been saved. Does that make sense? And so when you deal with that today, and you're going to understand why I'm going the way I'm going. Why I'm just trying to set it up. That one of the first things I believe that we have as a responsibility of, of those who have followed the word of God is we need to celebrate when someone has made a step in the right direction, but don't celebrate it to such a place that they feel they've arrived if they've not walked through uh, John chapter 3 and John chapter 5 and Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9 and 10. And so I want to make sure I don't say, well done, and then they feel like they've arrived and they never go any further. Does that make sense? And I'm glad you went to church. I'm glad you believe. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? That's, that's the first part. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Because what I, I want to spend time on is many places in the Bible, especially as we get into the epistles. And remember, the epistles are letters written by the apostles to the church. Look at your neighbor and say, the epistles are for church people. Epistles are for church people. Okay? Look at your other neighbor and say if they're not saved, they have no business reading the epistles. Alright? You think I'm crazy, but I'm not. The epistles only work for the church. They don't work for the sinner. 
They don't work for those who haven't experienced salvation. The epistles, he said, I'm writing to people who are saved. And I see some issues. I, I see some problems. I see some deficiencies. I'm, I just want to give you a warning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And, and I'm going to, this is where you're just going to bear with me as I pull two different sets of notes that I had written and I couldn't combine them. I had what's in my heart and I have what's in my Bible. And so you're going to have to let me kind of put it together as we go. Is that fair enough to do? Peter says in verse 16. So we're going to read a lot of, of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse, verse 16 and, and the verses following. For we do not follow cleverly designed myths when we've made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. It wasn't made up. It wasn't dreamed up. This wasn't fable. This wasn't folklore. This wasn't uh, a myth. Instead, watch what it says. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received... For, I'm sorry, let me, let me do it right. Let's not add to the Bible. When he... Received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice born to him by majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. By the way, that voice was spoken twice. It was spoken in the waters of the Jordan when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and then it happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, where that same voice was issued. And then it says in verse 18, or verse 19. And we have this prophetic word more fully conformed to which you would do well to pay attention as a shining lamp in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Of course, I'm reading the uh, English Standard Version. And so Peter is just making sure everybody understands this, that the word of God is sure. If it's not added to, there's other places in the word I can take, you don't add to it, you don't take away, you don't, you, you, you can't give private interpretation. Uh, if, if, if two people give you two different versions of what the verse means, one of them is probably wrong. There's only one way to understand the word of God. And he said, and, and so we didn't make this up. We saw it with our own eyes. We were there when he was baptized. We were there when he feed, fed the multitudes. We were there when he healed the blind. We were there when he uh, uh, raised the dead. We were there when he told us to go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We were there. And we're doing everything he's told us to do. We do baptize in the name. It's the name of Jesus. But look at verse, or look at chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. By the way, this is not a new thing. And it's not an old thing. Uh, it happened in the Old Testament. I've been reading some of the, the, the places in, in the major prophets and minor prophets. And one of the problems that God had with Israel was that Israel was doing horrible things. They had left God. They had fallen away. Go read the Chronicles and the Kings and 
uh, probably 85% or more of the kings, it says, and King so-and-so started reigning when he was this old, and he reigned for this many years, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of God. Every once in a while, you get some that say, he started this old, he reigned this long, and he did what was right in the eyes of God, but he didn't do this. And then there's like two kings after David that he can say, and he wholly followed in the steps of God. And so, but, but you have these prophets that were coming up, and you have Jeremiah. Read Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he tells you, uh, uh, it's not good. God's not pleased with what you're doing. And there's a lot of prophetic visions and a lot of prophetic um, illustrations that Jeremiah uses to show Israel that they are that, that they're in a bad spot. God's not pleased. There's destruction. And one of the things that Jeremiah faced was there were other prophets that would come in and say, well, let me tell you what God says. God says it's all roses and it's all beautiful and God loves you and he doesn't care what you're doing and you're not going to go into captivity and you're not going to be uh, uh, you, you know, in exile. Everything's good. And God said, those are false prophets. They're telling you peace. And sudden destruction is right around the corner for you. And so Peter is talking about that same thing. Uh, except now we're talking about the church. We're not talking about Israel anymore. We're not talking about uh, Judah and the 12 tribes. We're, we're talking about the church of the living God that was born on the day of Pentecost and born from the teachings of God given to the apostles and the apostles are giving them to us. And he says, church, because remember, epistles are from the church. Remember what you told your neighbor? He's saying church. Beware, there will be false teachers among you bringing destructive heresies, even denying the master. Look at verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 2. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them down into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept in the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them of an, as making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If he rescued a righteous lot, grace greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that as a righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. If the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lusts of defiling passion and despise authority. There's no shame in their sin. Look at verse, oh, uh, uh, the end of uh, verse 10. They're bold, they're willful, they don't tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But like these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishes, they revel in their deceptions as they feast with you. They have their eyes full of adultery and insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. They forsake the right way. They've gone astray. 
They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. There watered the springs and mists driven by a storm, for then the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. They speak loud boasts of folly. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are then entangled in them and overcome. The last state becomes worse than the first. It would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What is the true problem? What the true proverb says has happened to them? The dog returns to its own vomits. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Do you see, can you feel the passion of Peter as he says, beware that you don't allow those to come in that corrupt what the word of God says. Now, I'm, I know I'm reading a lot of scripture, but I just want you to see it in the word rather than just hearing it from me. Now, I want you to turn over a few pages to the book of Jude. I want you to see how closely Jude uh, kind of works together with what Peter said. Jude, uh, most of your, your, your biblical scholars will tell you that Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. So, so he would, what we mean by that is, is he would have been uh, uh, Mary and Joseph's biological son. And there were others that were there. And uh, when he starts off, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied upon you. And so it is that Jude, it's interesting, he, he's not going to say, I'm a, I'm, I'm a brother of Jesus. He's not going to say, I'm, I'm family of Jesus, because you go to the Gospels, and you find that Jesus' own brothers and sisters didn't believe in it. And so Jude says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a servant. In fact, uh, what, what some will say, what other versions of the Bible, they, they use a little harsh, harshly. They say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He, he says, I, I didn't follow it right, but now I'm, I'm totally indebted to his salvation. And so uh, he, he begins to talk. And I want to just show you what it says in verse 3. Beloved. I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. So I get in my mind, and I've read other commentaries that say I'm, I'm at least on the right track. I get in my mind that Jude was ready to sit down and he was going to write a flowing uh, uh, letter, a flowing epistle about how awesome the salvation of Jesus Christ is and how wonderful it is. And aren't you glad you're saved? And aren't you glad you live for God? And aren't you thankful he brought you out of that miry clay? And it's almost like in the middle of writing his letter, God checks him, he stops, and he just writes something totally different than what he intended to write. And he writes this. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. The, uh, the, the King James will say earnestly contend for the saints, or for the, for the, for the truth. Earnestly contend. This, this earnestly con contending, it's a uh, it's almost a militant term, if you will. 
It, it's, it's, to, it's to fight. Watch, uh, watch Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. It says it like this. Seeing then that we have such a great high priest that is passed under the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession. So Peter is saying it. The writer of Hebrews says it. Now Jude says it. You better hold tight to the truth. You better hold tight to the truth. Earnestly contend. There's, it's almost fight for it. Fight for the truth. Don't just sit back and let the truth be slung into the mud. Don't sit back and let the truth be turned into a lie. Don't let the truth kind of, you know, play the telephone game. Everybody know what the telephone game is? You tell one person something in their ear and then they tell somebody something in their ear. And by the time you get to the end, what was said at the beginning has been so lost in translation, if you will, that it's not. The, well, truth has a way of doing that too if you're not careful. God told him, and I, I know I've preached about this recently, but let me say it again. God told uh, Adam, he said, he said, eat of any tree you want to in the garden. Just don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve hears it from Adam, and she gets it mixed up. And by the time it gets to, to Eve's lips, she says, we can't even touch that tree. That's not what God said. God said, don't eat it. And so if we're not careful, we can allow the truth to get watered down through generations. Until the truth that we give our children doesn't resemble anything that God intended it to be. We're not careful through the, the generations of a church. And I'm talking about a, a, a local church, a local church, church congregation. If we're not careful, 10, 15 years from now, the truth preached behind this pulpit could be vastly different because it's just kind of taken a, no one fought for it. No one contended for it. No one said, hey, I don't think that's what it means. I, I think you're going a different direction. Jude says, fight for the truth. He says, here's why. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, the sensuality, and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Timothy said it this way. Uh, 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 or Paul rather said it to Timothy. He said, uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 and 3, For the time will come when people won't endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lusts, keep to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, make full, full proof of your can I just stop for a minute make sure we're all on the same page? Do you see a, a, a definite correlation between all these different epistles? You know what that tells me? We better pay attention to it. We better pay attention because it's telling us that if we're not careful, false doctrine, false teaching, and, and teachers that will just tell us what we want to hear, or we'll go find teachers that will tell us what we want to hear. No, earnestly contend for the faith. Jude begins to warn us, and I'm going to go very quickly in this because I can get bogged down in this and, and make it, and, and I, I, don't, I don't need to spend a ton of time, but in the book of Colossians, uh, Colossians like chapter 2, verse 21 or so, you, you have teachers that were teaching you can't touch this, you can't taste this, you can't do this. And, and basically what it was is they were pulling from some pagan rituals that, that if you want to be holy, you have to deny yourself. And so you can't eat that. You can't touch this. You got to, you know, as long as you beat your flesh into submission, 
then you'll be holy. Well, that's not what the Bible says. And so the book of Colossians tells us, don't pay attention to people that say you've got to beat your flesh into submission. We don't have to grab a whip and beat ourselves every day and, and, and make sure that, that our flesh, is our, there's, there's more spiritual ways to do that. So that was one false teaching. And then you, you can get into the first Corinthians. And one of the things that, that, that Paul uh, was, was fighting was people who claimed to have knowledge. And they said, we're smarter than you. And so you need to follow us. We found new revelation. We found new doctrines. We found new knowledge. And so I get real worried when preachers get up or people get up and say, uh, I was praying and God gave me a new revelation. Little, little bells go off my head. Ding, 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 ding. Because there is no new revelation. Everything you need to know is right here. Now, God may open your eyes to something. I'm okay with that. I've read the Bible plenty of times and, and said, you know what, God? I think I understand what that what you're trying to tell me right now. But but in, in 1 Corinthians, he was, he was pushing back to knowledge. And they had knowledge. But but you can you can keep learning. The Bible says you can keep learning and never come to truth. You can find a, you can find all sorts of cool revelations, but never come anywhere close to the truth. In First Timothy, he he talks again about knowledge, and uh, in First Timothy chapter one verse four, he tells him he, he warns Timothy, beware of myths and endless genealogies, which basically promote speculations. This is why. Told you I'm gonna be pastoral. This is why I get real uncomfortable if we're gonna talk about things that that all we can do is speculate about. Now I'm being funny, but I've I've, I've sat down and talked with people and they were serious. But I mean, we can speculate all day long. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Because you know belly buttons come from the birth process. Belly buttons come from the placenta and the umbilical cord, and and so if if Adam and Eve weren't born. They didn't have an umbilical cord. Did they have a belly button? We, we, can, we can do that all the time. But what happens is if you're not careful, you get caught up into speculations and what ifs, and you never come any closer to the truth. And, and I can show you all through the epistles where, where the writers of the epistles warned them about that. Then, uh, you know, they in, in 1 John, he, he, he warned people about... You know, you can say, I know God, I love God, I abide in Christ, but you don't have any love. And there, there, there's one way to, there's just a lot of different false doctrines that can come out of that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that Jude is facing here, uh, as he writes, it says, for they turn the grace of God to sensuality. There are people who say, and, and I'm going to. There's a real deep way to put it, but I'm going to put it real simple because I feel like we're still facing this today. And that is there were those that believed that God is spiritual and only spiritual and man is only flesh and that there was no God manifest in flesh. It's called Gnosticism. And because of that, they said, as long as we just talk about spiritual things and we be spiritual, God doesn't care about our bodies. And so what Jude is talking, if you go read the commentaries, if you go study it, what Jude is fighting against is people that said, and, and I'm putting it right here in 2020, where, where people said, I'm saved, I love God, I believe God, but God doesn't care what my body does. I can live any old way I want to live because there's a difference between what I do in my body and what I do in my flesh. 
And so they begin to say, I can be saved, I'm putting it real simple, and not be changed. You say, well, pastor, what does that mean? It's because I'm just going to be very honest with you. We're living in a world today where that becomes the gospel being preached. As long as you say you're spiritual, as long as you act spiritual, as long as you write songs that say you're spiritual, as long as you say the right spiritual things, you can do whatever you want to do and it doesn't matter. And I'm here today to tell you that doctrine is false. I don't care who your heroes are. I don't care what songs you like to listen to. I don't care what new person comes on the scene and begins to quote from the Bible. Be careful that you don't allow yourself to be caught up into this and you say, well, they're saying spiritual things. I'm more interested in the fruits of their spirit. That's how you tell. You've got to look. The Bible says these people are creeping in, verse 4, and certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and sensuality that deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Later on, I'm going to show you that they had inserted themselves into the church. People who had taken the grace of God, turned it into a lie. He says, I want to remind you Although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Remember how we talked about Peter and talked about all the things, you know, if, if God wasn't going to save the angels that fell, if God wasn't going to save Sodom and Gomorrah, if God wasn't going to save a world that was lost except the eight that were there. He just reminds you, he says, even Israel, God brought them out of Egypt. Ten plagues, walked them across the, the Red Sea and, and all of that. But later on, when they turned their back on God, God said, I don't, I, I, I don't grade on the curve. I'm going to hold you just as responsible in the church with what you do with the truth than those that are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you're going to turn your back on me, he said he destroyed them. And you see the Bible tells us that, that that's why they wandered for 40 years until the whole generation that came out of Egypt died, except Joshua and Caleb. And then he says, and, and, and likewise, the angels that did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. This is those that third of the angels that fell. He's kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until judgment of the great day. That's what we read in 2 Peter. And, and just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, they serve as an example by undergoing a, a punishment of eternal fire. Again, it's exactly what Peter said. And then he said, but like in manner, these people also rely on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume, presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. And, and basically, he starts telling you this is what happens when people don't follow the truth. They, they, uh, they defile the flesh. They reject authority. And, and this, this blasphemy the glorious ones and how the archangel Michael continuing with the devil, kind of hard to understand. I'll be honest. It's, it's a pretty deep thing. We don't hear a lot about Michael and the archangel. But basically, the point is 
you you don't just walk around and, and you become the judge of whatever you want to judge. Uh, there seems to be in this that you know Moses when he died he didn't have a tomb he didn't have a sepulcher. The understanding is nobody knew where Moses was where the Lord took Moses' body. And here it says maybe the devil did and an angel named Michael did. And they were fighting over the body of, of Moses. And, and Michael, here's what he said. He said, he, he didn't make up his own judgment. He said, the Lord rebuked me. There's a lot of times that people like to make up their own judgment. They like to make up their own rules. They like to make up their own responses. But it goes all the way back to Jesus when he was tempted uh, in, in, in that, that, that wilderness. He didn't give his own words. What did he say? This is what the Bible says. I'm going to fight with the word. I'm going to fight with the truth. I'm going to fight with there. And then he gives four or three things. He says, woe to them. They've walked in the way of Cain. They've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. They're hidden reefs at your love feast. And I'll explain what that means. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, Swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumns, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And so it is that he begins to talk about those false teachers. Those that, that have, have rejected authority. Let me pull back from some notes that I've walked in. They, they're walking in error. So there's, there's three things. Cain wanted to worship his own way. Cain was envious of his brother's blessings. Cain says, I want to do it my way. We've got to be very careful that someone doesn't come and say, let me tell you how to worship my way. The second, Balaam. Now, Balaam is interesting because there's three things in Balaam. We, we read in 2 Peter, the way of Balaam. Now we have here the error of Balaam. And then in Revelation chapter 2, you have the doctrine of Balaam. And it all goes like this. The way of Balaam is that he used the ministry. He was a, he was a prophet of God. <coughs> Go back and read Numbers. He was a prophet of God. He spoke with God's voice. But somewhere in the midst of it, he said, you know what? I can make some money being a prophet of God. And he took... Uh, uh, the, the, the king uh, he cooked, took Balak's money and, and he started making money on his ministry we got to be careful that we don't ever pervert ministry to a personal gain it's not about you, it's not about me that was the way of Balaam the error of Balaam was thinking he could get away with it and God took a donkey to talk to him to get him back straight and then the doctrine of Balaam is what's worse is all because that happens in you find that in Revelation chapter 12. And it tells us, because Balaam finally told Balak, I can't curse God's people, but I'll give you a, a hint in how to destroy God's people. Just go get in amongst them, and God's people will destroy themselves because they'll intermix and they'll, 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 they'll lose their place of, of uh, separation. And pretty soon they'll let down their guards. So just go befriend them. And that's why the Bible says we've got to be very careful with our friendship with the world. In fact, the Bible says friendship with the world is, is actually an enmity against God. That's not that you can't be friends with those that are in the world. We're talking about being friends with the world's views, being connected to, 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 to what the world says is okay. 
says you got to be careful with that. And Balaam, he acted like he was working for God, but he encouraged others to sin and even got some money for his false teaching. And then Korah rebelled against leadership and ultimately God himself. And, 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 and Jude is saying that there are those, if you're not careful, that will walk in those ways, way of Korah, the way of Balaam, and the way of Cain. And then it says they're in their soul. The, the, the church, the, the, the church, they, they took communion very seriously, but it was not an act like what we think about. Uh, Jesus, when, when Jesus told them, you know, the Last Supper, this is my, my blood and this is the bread, that was not, he didn't bring out a little thimble full of juice and he didn't bring out one of those little tasteless wafers. No, he didn't. They were eating supper. And so they began to make it a point in their uh, places and in their churches. A lot of fellowship would happen. And they said, you know what? When we come together and we eat together as a, as in fellowship, we ought to just remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so they were doing that. And they called those, it was the, here, the Bible says love feast. That sounds weird to us, but in their days it wouldn't have. But he said, here's the thing. You're, you're having church and you're having fellowship and these false Doctrines and false teachers and false things, they have a way of inserting themselves and you just open arms and you bring them in and, and I'm telling you, be careful. Now listen, I don't think any of that's going on here. I'm not looking at somebody trying to think, Who, who's that fault? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the attitude of being able to just open your arms and just swallow anything that comes along. Jude says, be careful. Who you let in your life. And be really careful who you let into your spiritual life. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to make it to heaven. Not everyone who has a teaching that seems spiritual is right. They're hidden reefs. What, what, what are reefs known for? They're known for ship unsuspectingly running aground and scuttling the ship and the ship sinks. I've met way too many people that didn't see the reef. They ran smack into something they let themselves get connected to. They're, they're waterless crowd, clouds. They, they, they don't do anything for you. They just are worried about shepherds. They're shepherds feeding themselves. They're swept away. They're fruitless trees. In late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, twice dead is right now. You go outside, most of the trees don't have their leaves. They look dead, right? So they, that's kind of first dead, if you will. But then if you uproot them, they're really dead. Well, these are trees that don't have any spiritual fruits. But God says, I've already uprooted them. They don't have any, have any life in them. They're, they're, they're wild waves of the sea that cast up the foam. If you've ever been to the seashore when the waves are going... Something the waves are really good at. It's just throwing giant bits of foam. And, and it's kind of like they're just they're just flying off at the mouth. There's not any substance to it. They're wandering stars whom the gloom of the utter darkness has been reserved forever. He says, It was also of these that Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holiness. To execute judgment upon all and convict the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And that all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them, they are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loudmouth boasters, 
showing favoritism to gain advantage. Jude says, be careful of them. But you, let's get off the negative. Let's talk about the church. He says, but you, why don't you remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ when they said, so they, they, they told you this was going to happen. You ought not, none of us ought to get, <coughs> man, that caught me by surprise that someone would have a false doctrine, that someone would try to change the word of God. I, I don't get it. They would change the grace of God to a lie. No, the apostles predicted it. They prophesied it, if you will. They said, in the last days there will come scoffers, following their own ungodly passions, these that cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. I was reading this again today. I, I, I have, for the last couple of days, I have immersed myself in just reading this over and over, trying to get it inside of me, not just on a piece of paper where I can take it. I want to I tell you what I believe that says, and I'm going to go back to it. If someone has never experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they are devoid of the Spirit. And it's hard to teach the things of God if you don't have His Spirit in you. I'm very careful. Now, I, you can have knowledge. Remember, you can have knowledge without the Spirit. You can have knowledge without, without the Holy Ghost. And so there is some good knowledge out there. A lot of the commentaries I read, a lot of the things that I, 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 I study, they, they may be written by people who weren't filled with the Spirit, but they've got some good knowledge, good history. Brother Hartwell, I've learned to be very careful as to what I allow into my life that wasn't born and birthed and written and spoken by someone not filled with the Spirit. I'm going to say it again. You can have a lot of podcasts and musicians and public speakers and celebrities and even preachers. But if they're devoid of the Spirit, <coughs> be careful that you don't get too close and let them get connected to your heart. Because if you're not careful, they'll lead you astray more often than they'll come to the truth. But you... Church. So you, that's you here tonight. You, here's what I want you to do. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Number two, pray in the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep yourselves in the love of God. And number four, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There are four things that you need to do. You who are in the church, are you ready? Number one, you need to keep your, or, or, uh, uh, you need to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. How do you build yourselves up? Study this. Read this. If and, and, and I'm not, I'm not being ignorant right now. I say I'm glad if you've got a daily devotion you read. I'm glad if you've got a podcast you read. But if that takes the place of the Word of God, you might be walking a dangerous road. You need to read the word of God for yourself. 
Not a commentary first. I read my commentaries, but I made it a practice a long time ago, Brother Harold. I want to read the Word of God first before I read what the commentary says. Because i got to make sure the commentary is right. i got to make sure it follows right. And so study the Word of God. Build yourselves up in the Word of God. Come to church. Hear the Word of God. Go to Sunday school. Go to Foundations class. Whatever it takes. Make sure you are strong in the truth. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Number two, praying in the Holy Spirit. This does not mean praying in tongues. It's not what it means. It means pray. And then if you've got the Bible, what does the Bible say? The Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost will lead and guide you into all truth. So pray that. Say, Lord, teach me. Lord, when I read your word, let it come alive. Lord, when I see your word, let it speak to me. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. That's number two. Number three, keep yourselves in the love of God. Number four, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And this is what you need to do for those. The first one, the first one I told you in Acts chapter 19 was celebrate the little things that God has done in people's lives, but always push them, always point them to the truth. Someone says they've been baptized, says, man, that is awesome. How are you baptized? What does the Bible say about being baptized? Don't be an ignorant. The Bible has the truth. But here's what he says. He says, for some, have mercy on those who doubt. There'll always be people who, because of the influx of false doctrine, the influx of of false teachers, the influx of ravenous wolves, as one of the epistles says. There'll be those who are unsteady, unsure. Love them. Have mercy on them. I'm going to keep teaching the truth. Number three, or number two, you, you save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's kind of what I'm doing tonight. Sometimes you just got to hit it head on. Say so this is where it is. And number three, to others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained my flesh, which means you love them, especially those that, that are teaching and, and, and bringing it in. I love them, but I'm going to be very cautious how I handle it. I'm going to love them, but I'm going to save them with some fear. I'm going to have some knowledge. I'm not going to just open my heart up and say, well, let's just run with it. Hating even their garment stained my flesh. Now unto him that is able. To keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great, great joy. To our only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Before all times, that's the past, right now, and the present. Amen. Would you stand in this place today? Hallelujah. I trust that you have watched the Word of God as we've brought it to you tonight, tried to show you through a myriad of scriptures, a myriad of ways, to be very careful that we don't allow the word of God and the truth of God to be lost, to be changed, to be cloudy, but to earnestly contend for the truth and to keep ourselves and to pray and to be ready because God wants to present you I wonder if we could just take a moment as they play behind me. I wonder if we could just take a moment. I don't know at what part of this sermon.